Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Feit, aka Freudina, and welcome back to Ask Freudina. In this first season, we're dissecting common situations that people enact and how to avoid them. In this episode, we're looking at corruption enactments. As always, for more detailed theoretical explanation of this episode's theme, feel free to listen to episode three of Freudina's Shrink Think, which should be right next to this episode in your podcast player. Hi, Freudina. I am a 50-year-old divorced dad from Florida. My oldest son returned from college and has been sheltering in place with me as he finishes his semester virtually. It's been really difficult. Since he left the house a few years back, he's mostly lived with his, his mom on school vacations, and I haven't actually had to be a parent who lays down rules in many, many years. So now he's back in the house and he is 21. The problem is that he leaves at night and goes out to hook up with people and comes back into the house. I have a pre-existing health condition, so I'm very nervous about his behavior. Also, I've now been in the room as he is online with some of the girls and I just don't like who he is when he talks to them. For all her faults, my ex-wife is a person. And I think she said that she heard some of the cussing coming out of his mouth. I wouldn't say I was exactly faithful to his mom when we were together, so I feel like an idiot talking to my kid about respecting women. I also feel pretty lousy setting up rules for his socializing just because of my own health. Most of all, I'm grateful he's with me. I've honestly missed him these past few years. Although I feel bad saying it, I really like that we're friends again. Thanks a lot. Hi, and thank you so much, caller. We're really glad to hear from you. Uh, it's wonderful to hear from a divorced dad of an older child who's thinking hard about the ways in which to help an older child, uh, even an adult child, uh, continue to grow and to become the kind of person uh, that they can be in the world. So wonderful that you called in. Uh, you called in with a very common enactment pattern uh, where the parents who see less of a child which is often the dad, does whatever he can to stay in the kid's good graces. Uh, when they're little, sometimes people call in and talk about sort of feeling like they're bribing their kids to spend time with them and all the sadness that comes up when people say, well, I'm just trying to get the gifts I can because otherwise the kid doesn't really want to see me. They're used to seeing with their mom. And these kinds of things are really sad and very difficult. Uh, but here you are, a thoughtful caller who's trying to stop yourself from leaning into the experiences of sympathizing with your son's sexual needs and also appreciating that your ex-wife in particular wouldn't like it. Um, I really love that you're divorced from someone, but you're actually giving real thought to what her values and her morals and her standards for life would be and that they mattered to you. Uh, that's wonderful. And that's, and that's probably a great sign for your son's well-being when he has two parents who are actually thinking about one another, even though they're no longer together. Um, I hear that you're concerned for your own health caller, but I also hear that you're concerned for the values and morals that your ex-wife might have and that you're concerned that your son doesn't violate what his mom would want. Um, so in a sense, you're making good on making sure your ex-wife doesn't have her son violating the sexual needs she would not approve of. Um, and this is just a great example of co-parenting, as I was saying. Caller, you're setting yourself up for a wonderful ability to care for a potential partner and also ensuring that you yourself are not corrupted by the desire to cross boundaries and to lean into the sexual pal thing that so many guys do. 
I mean, so many men of older, you know, of older kids basically give in to all kinds of things in order to be close with their sons. Uh, many of which are crossing, are many, many of which are crossing boundaries uh, into sexual terrain that is just not appropriate between a son and a father. Um, and they later come to regret it. And here you are, non-judgmental ways, just trying to make the best choices. So again, I guess I'm giving you one too many kudos, but I'm just so happy about so many of the things that you're just so casually doing right that I've just got to say that it is amazing. Um, there is a little bit of the other uh, episode that you'll hear on this season one when we're talking about flipping the script, which is about the enforcer kind of thing. Um, with the enforcer, um, I had mentioned that you can also become this paradigm where one person is becoming the person that um, sets the rules and the other person is the one that can either violate the rules or keep the rules. And there's some danger here that you have an adult son who's probably a good enough guy from what you're saying, and you don't want to uh, flip the script so that he's feeling like he's only listening to you because uh, you're the guy in charge and that his own sense of uh, values and morality go out go out uh, the garbage because you're the one setting the rules so he doesn't have to think about it. What's great about having an older child is that hopefully they're thinking about their own values and morals and they're internalizing them for their life. And you don't want to be the person who has to be there uh, in the fullness of time. You know, hopefully he'll live a long, happy, healthy life. And if things go the way nature intends, you will go after him. So he will need to uh, know these things for himself. Um, And hopefully he is going to uh, take them in. So with that in mind, what we have here are, are a couple of things, uh, one of which, of course, is, you know, very complicated. Um, is he making good health choices for you and for him? Uh, is he endangering you health-wise with the kinds of sexual choices he makes? And uh, if he's a good kid, I think part of having conversations with him about ha- taking into account your own health needs would be the kinds of things he would think up about a a great deal, Uh, even if he is involved uh, romantically and or sexually with people outside their home, uh, even if there aren't safe sex practical things to do, there are safer sex practical things to do. Uh, So many departments of health have pretty good ideas on how to make better choices, Uh, just as during the AIDS epidemic, uh, people really didn't uh, know much about safer sex and there were needless deaths. Um, there also are parts of the country where people are just ignoring the fact that people get together sexually and therefore there's lots of sexual acting out and needless death. Uh, in some cities, including I would sit, recommend highly the New York Department of Health, uh, where they have a fantastic uh, campaign to talk about safer sex and give very, very good explicit uh, ideas about what to do to limit risks. So even if your son does go out, um, it would be great if um, he pays attention to that and he does things that are less risky. Of course, I'm completely ignoring here um, the morality bit because I just think that that is very family and person by person specific and whatever moral conversations you want to have with your child. Again, um, 
that should happen in the context of not a binary of one is person is in enforcing and the other person is uh, either responding or not responding, but in the context of a more nuanced conversation that things are very complicated. Uh, so here you go, caller. Uh, seems to me very, very important that you do not want to fall into this enactment where um, your own uh, sexual needs, the, the ways that you've uh, acted upon them or not acted upon them, the things your son knows or doesn't know about you, that there's any boundary violations, that he knows too much about you or more than he needs to know about you and your sexual habits, whether or not they've involved his own mother or whether or not they're, they're private, those kinds of things that are for no good for him. Uh, don't let your own guilt about that in any way make you a potential in any way make you a potential corruptible object right here in this enactment paradigm where you're trying to speak for the moral good, um, very similar to the pastor and her other call, and that instead you are uh, being drawn into an enactment where you're speaking to the morals of what makes sense and actually for reality of what makes sense and that the, the kinder and better and more uh, moral you become, you become more and more of a target for your son. You want to go low on the excessive self-disclosure. You want to go low on any kind of special latitude you give yourself to talk to him in certain ways or do things with him in certain ways. And you want to keep the boundary of parent and child appropriate to what your relationship with him is. Um, you may be feeling a lot of what we discussed uh, other points in this episode, which is that sometimes people who are trying to push boundaries, moral boundaries, make the person they're pushing feel like they're being excessively stultifying and formal and putting down needless rules. And uh, the, you might have the temptation to rationalize your boundary violations in a variety of ways, especially, I don't know, for all I know, you'll watch porn with him. Uh, but that's just a bad plan because uh, that might be gratifying your own needs to be close with your son and uh, not really addressing the, ne the needs of your child, which is to feel that somewhere on the planet there is someone who has good boundaries, who has good common sense, can't be pushed around, and is in fact uh, a very moral person uh, that God can't be pushed, is not a corruptible object. Um, I understand full well that you have a desperate need to be known as a real person, and that being a parent is really hard in that way, because there are things we just can't share with our kids, even our adult kids, and it's just very tempting to be in denial of the role you have as being super chummy and super familiar with your kid, because that's a heck, a heck of a lot more fun uh, than holding to any rules and roles. Uh, but um, that is one enactment of parent-child uh, that is not a negative enactment. That's the role that, if it goes right, is a gift you give not only to yourself, but your kid forevermore. Uh, so reminding you again that uh, excessive chumminess uh, or excessive boundary violations past what you know to be a really good thing to do are not things you're going to feel good about a year or two later. Um, I am reminded uh, once of a caller who uh, called and shared his porn collection with his son, and it felt like a night of bonding. Only the next way to neck, only the next day to wake up and be be feel, felt uh, excessive shame and really 
had a hard time finding the way back. Uh, so glad you caught this. It's very infancy before the stuff even really came out. Um, the parts of it I got wrong, please forgive me. The parts that I got right, please feel free to use and implement. And once again, thanks so much for calling. Hi, Freudina. I'm a pastor in a blue-collar neighborhood. I have a parishioner. He's really a very nice guy. Uh, he owns a repair shop and repairs my cars at a decent price, really more than decent, slightly below what I expected to pay. Uh, that made me a little uh, uncomfortable, but since I've heard from other pastors whose church he doesn't attend, that he does the same thing for them, I figured it was okay. But recently he's done some other minor favors for me, nothing huge, but I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. Uh, I think it's probably because of the following things that happened recently. A A few weeks ago we had a church function Uh, My church, uh, with very strong support from me, has been quite strict about social distancing. Uh, Nevertheless, at at the function, he he came a bit too close to me while we were talking. I reminded him, uh, I think gently, uh, that we were trying hard to implement the six-foot rule because everybody benefited from it. In a teasing tone, which wasn't offensive, uh, he said that in last week's sermon, I had said that the church was one big family. And he said, shouldn't family members be allowed to get closer to each other than uh, six feet? I laughed politely. I didn't want to embarrass him publicly, uh, but I did pull back a, a bit, and um, uh, he had to have noticed that. I didn't want to embarrass him publicly, but you know, violating the six-foot rule was part of my sermon as much as the talking about the churches being one family, and he had to know that... Uh, I really thought the six-month rule, six-foot rule, uh, was designed to protect everyone's health, and the family discussion really wasn't relevant to that. Maybe I should have spoken to him privately afterwards, so that to reemphasize the point and not embarrass him, but I didn't. Last week, I ran into him at the grocery store. He slapped me on the back and told me that he knew I didn't really believe in the whole pandemic scare. And since I was off-duty, we didn't have to keep uh, to that norm. Well, that that just isn't true, and it, it troubles me that, number one, he would think it, and number two, that he'd feel comfortable enough uh, to say it, uh, knowing that I wouldn't agree. He takes other liberties, uh, which bother me, though, again, I haven't taken the initiative to to say anything to him about it. For example, he's called my house a couple of times, 
and asked my wife to speak to me uh, using my first name. Now, I'm a very informal, relaxed guy, uh, and I, I really don't think of myself as standing on ceremony. But somehow, maybe in the context of what went on before, uh, this bothered me. Um, and I really don't know that I would have reacted this way to someone else. Uh, probably not. Freudina, I know you've worked extensively with clergy, so I was kind of hoping you'd help me understand first why he keeps pushing the boundaries, and I guess more importantly, why do I feel as strongly as I do by, about things which others probably would regard as minor issues? Anyway, thanks very much, Freudina, for listening, uh, hearing me out. Hi. It's really great to hear from a pastor, and especially one who's doing such good work in what you've called a blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, it's really, really a tough time for many folks, and it sounds like the kind of pastor you are. You're really touching lives and making meaningful differences all the time to people in, in really nice ways. Uh, so, yeah, we're all grateful that the world has people like you, and thanks so much. Um, you're right that I've worked with uh, lots of clergy, and so this kind of enactment is not unfamiliar to me. Um, it's really clear that the car repairman, uh, who's been good to you and given you uh, car repair work at decent prices over time, is finding ways to push your buttons and to put you in compromised situations. Uh, he's taking advantage of you as a man of God or a man of a cloth and putting you in situations where if you call him out on the things he's doing, you will potentially shame him. Uh, this person does not sound like he's doing a lot of unconscious acting out, although it might be. I really don't know to what extent he has conscious uh, knowledge of the things that he's doing, but he's certainly enacting the paradigm that we're talking about, uh, this enactment of a corruptible person, right? A corruptible person uh, being particularly interesting to somebody who wants to see themselves as a corruptor, someone who is very suspicious of anyone who seems to be good or, or kind and is sort of staving off any potential pos positive transference or positive feelings or trusting feelings he has by corrupting everyone and then saying, hey, see, even that guy, even that great pastor, he's, he, he's no better than the rest of us. And you find this happens when people are beginning to be attached to people. In therapeutic sessions, you find it all the time that when people start being close to therapists, oftentimes uh, there exists an enactment when they try to push on therapists and push on their buttons in some way. Um, and get them to exploit boundaries. Um, and when therapists stay the course and are able to remind them of the boundaries and come back to form, that's re really when uh, clients feel the safest. And I think the, safe, the same is true here, actually. You have a guy who's obviously attached to you and seems to like you in some way. Um, and it seems to me that he's threatened by the fact that you're a good guy. And he's pushing your buttons to see if he can throw you over the edge. He's doing a lot of testing of that. And he's putting you in situations where it's hard not to fail in one way or the other, either by calling you out and shaming you or by giving in to what you know is not okay. So, for example, 
um, when you say the words that many things haven't been a big deal, but then you say that you were feeling a bit uncomfortable, I automatically paid attention to that. The feeling of being uncomfortable is probably more evidence of an enactment than any actual action. The feeling that you have that something is amiss when someone is treating you in some way, that deep down feeling is the thing you want to attend to, and that's probably some kind of enactment. So when he's coming a little bit close to you in social distance and then you tell him uh, that you're trying to keep, you know, the six-foot rule or the eight-foot rule, and then he's telling you that the church is one big family and he took seriously your sermon of that week, um, I really think he's putting you in a situation uh, where you don't want to shame him, but he's actually demeaning God or the Lord, or whatever framework you use for the for the one upstairs, um, because he's making fun of your sermon. And he's making fun of godliness in a way that you can't quite call him on. But he's utilizing your own words in a way uh, to make them seem petty or silly or, or really to revile them in some subtle way. And yet, if you're the one who calls them out, uh, you're the bad guy. Uh, the same thing about you being off duty. Uh, that kind of implicitly states that you have an on-duty and an off-duty, and that your on-dutiness, you're a good guy, but that on your off-duty time, you're doing something really, really lousy, like being terribly immoral, like it's a thing you put on when you put on your priestly garb or your pastoral garb or your rabbinical garb, some sense that people have that uh, religious figures aren't quite sincere. It's just a job, and you can just sort of drop it. Um, and that's really a problem um, that goodness, true goodness, is a question for him. Uh, so I think this kind of person usually pushes your buttons in these kinds of enactments until you... Uh, act out in some way until they actually push you in doing something reprehensible and awful so they can say, aha, I caught you, you are an awful guy because you keep on keeping inside for so very long. Um, or you find a way to realize the pattern and to be able to name the pattern in some way that makes you comfortable. But your feeling of being silenced is the problem here, that you haven't been able to say anything. And you just say you're super rigid and difficult with him because you haven't found a way to name the problem and you felt feel handcuffed and unable to speak. So that's my, my advice for you. Try to find a way in which to language or word the problem in a way that feels right to you and comfortable to you and morally correct to you with the least shame possible. But once you're able to say what's going on and realize it's not your shame that you're speaking of, uh, you'll be freed of uh, what kind of uh, enactment that he's uh, perpetrating on you. Um, I guess I just wanted to say that there's something about his folksy and informal manner that really can be appealing to some clergy. Um, and I want to say in my own experience of working with many, many clergy, that part of the clergymen that I have dealt with and some of the clergy women um, is that some of them are exhausted by the constant pressure to stay in role. And there's a real desire to break free of role and to be a human being like any other, uh, free of the constraints of the expectations of all the people who are looking at you. However, as time evolves, 
uh, when you think through the expectations and such role violations, you often recognize that there's a real wish to deny the obvious aggression in what parishioners are doing and to placate them by gratifying their wish to make them an equal. So what I mean by that is uh, this guy is aggressive towards you, really aggressive towards you, not even passive aggressive. He's doing things that are really aggressive and demeaning. And sometimes people have the urge to, I don't know, if a parishioner sees the uh, clergyman on a golf course and says to them, oh, instead of calling you a pastor here, we're all just on first names, right? Can I call you Greg? And the pastor may, probably is relieved to be called Greg once in a while, not pastor all the time. And they say yes. But the truth is that that request is rarely a, a, a friendly request to help the pastor. It's a way in which... Uh, the the congregant or the parishioner uh, is trying to demean the pastor on some way. It would be very different if the pastor himself was on the golf course and said, hey, you know, it would be really nice just to be all people equal under God today and, you know, call me Greg for the next three hours. And when I see you tomorrow, I'll go being back to Pastor Greg. But again, that there's some kind of appeasement wish that pastors think if I just appease this lovely guy by... Uh, Exceeding to some of his wishes and just dressing like a normal person, because after all, it's only a barbecue. Um, that kind of appeasement doesn't work. And I'm trying to explain to you that the reason it doesn't work is that you may be constantly exhausted by staying in role and you may have this real desire to be, be free of it like any other person. But it's really an aggressive wish on the part of the parishioners. In gratifying this wish to make them an equal uh, does not no one any good although it might feel good for you in the moment, really part of the task you took on uh, is to be in role more of the time than you'd like it. It's very hard to find time outside of clerical conferences with others or, or retreats with other uh, people who are also in, in, in pastoral work to sort of lay things down and feel like you're, you're an equals. It's just a tough job. Um, I, I just know that most of the clergy I, I work with has felt really besieged by repeated assaults on the clergy-parishioner relationship, and that um, I've also seen clergy often feel a wish to circle the wagons in such a way so that clergy becomes overly rigid, more remote, and less empathic than they are in other relationships, uh, because when you're pressured in this way, uh, clergy sometimes has to strive for a middle ground where empathy and warmth are maintained and professional boundaries are not compromised, but that's hard to do. And that's how come you find some some clergymen who just really are untouchable and unreachable. Um, and that's not the kind of guy you want to become either. Uh, you want to stay in this middle ground where you can feel your full humanity. You can understand and relate to aggression in others without being overly harsh. And you can keep the boundaries that you want to keep while not being involved in enactment of somebody who uh, has the uh, push-pull thing going on where he needs to take you down uh, because internally he's feeling so conflicted about internally he's feeling so conflicted about potentially trusting you, so he needs to corrupt you uh, to feel more okay himself. Uh, that wouldn't be good for either one of you. So anyway, Pastor, this is a tough job you're doing, and uh, again, I. Uh, Think you could tell how much gratitude to I think you could tell how much gratitude I personally feel for you and so many others who are there on the front lines 
of taking care of the well-being, emotional, and physical of so many of us in these difficult times. I'm hoping you call back again, and we look forward to hearing how this turns out for you. Uh, Any other clergy who have similar questions of what's going on in religious life, um, I know that there are limited spaces to have these kinds of conversations, and we're really very happy to hear from people in any and all denominations, uh, people who are religious and not religious, atheists, agnostics, and uh, any kind of spiritual, religious, or other affiliations. Uh, This is a very broad kind of program, and we really want to speak to everyone. And now it's time for Thoughts from the Couch with my friend, Dr. Michael Singer. Uh, hey, Mike. Uh, this is Freudina, a.k.a. Dr. Ali Fike. How are you? Hey, Ali. I'm okay. I've had a busy, thoughtful week, and I've been looking forward to speaking to you again, specifically about sex and the ideas that we might have during this time of COVID. Okay, now you and I have discussed very often that talking about sex actually takes the fun out of sex, and I just want to recommit to this being one of our fun conversations about sex and not letting it deteriorate into uh, a theory of sex or what we know about sex or the health protocols of sex. We're going to do all that, but we're also going to lean into the fun and humor, which is really sometimes the point of living, is it not? Yes, that is definitely the point of living. And it is certainly sometimes a challenge in sex, God knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you were telling me uh, last episode, uh, where it was one before, um, a little bit about the, was it hump and dump or something? Can you tell us a little bit about that? You're, you're, this is from Grinder. Yes, I've been seeing this on Grindr. There's, there, there, were some, uh, there were some men who will say, don't worry, uh, I don't kiss, let's do pump and dump. I'm in my, and this is the, and they will say, this is the scenario. I am on all fours, uh, naked. You come in, I will leave the door open. You do what you're going to do. There's no conversation. There's no touching other than that part of the penetration and you're gone. I just need that. And so there's a kind, and it's a wonderful, you think, you think about how, uh, how funny is it to have that kind of intimacy under these circumstances when it's actually a health, health, it's a health requirement for God's sake to do that. And yet it would be something that in the past might be viewed as, oh, it's so, it's so distant. It's really, it's really so separating of sex from intimacy. And yet this is so intimate. It's two people enjoying themselves sexually and also being healthy in a way that used to be regarded as something that would be kind of, you know, what do you have an intimacy problem that you're doing that? And I find that to be very, very interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting that we are uh, kind of taking the intimacy out of sex and regarding that as the healthy thing to do. Uh, That's extraordinary. Let's remove kissing. Let's remove holding or touching. Let's just, what is it, pump and jump? Um, Extraordinary. Extraordinary. and it, it, it's extraordinary, and also it may it without all of these extra kinds of intimacies that you are obligated to do, even during a hookup. Maybe it does make it much more fun and much funnier to do this, right? I am not obligated to show affection in any other way. I am not, I am not obligated to say anything complimentary. I am certainly not required to bring a bouquet of roses, and there will be no treating of dinner. And none of that stuff will happen. But we were just doing this thing and 
how great this is and how much fun it is to just do that without any complications. And we're actually doing something healthy besides. I regard that as, 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 as a mitzvah. That's a mitzvah. So now you're bringing in religious lore. Uh, <laughs> somebody who sits on both sides of that, I'm going to leave that to the side. Uh, but just simply say that it is super interesting, of course, that, uh, you know, to me, uh, one of the tragedies of the last few months has been that the usual intimacies and kindnesses that people show each other in most hookups, not all, obviously, um, but in most hookups, people try to at least uh, extend the kindnesses of uh, a friendship uh, along with the hookup, even if it's not romance, right? And in some way, if you can look at society, um, you know, there've always been transactional sexual sexual relationships. And, uh, you know, you know, mor moralizing is not my thing. I believe everyone's got to find their own way to be in the world. But if we think of there being a space for transactional sex, uh, whatever moral and legal things aside, uh, there's also been a space in which I think most of us have felt that sex should be predicated um, oftentimes on a sense of, of caring, um, empathy for, for the other the other person a certain humanness. So here here you are, I think, touting the importance of, uh, look, this is a transaction. And to, I think a lot of sex positive people feel, you know, why don't we have um, uh, prostitution legalized and other such things? But there's also, to me, a, a real sadness uh, with this pump and dump thing that might actually um, be worth talking about. Meaning we don't now um, have the capacity to sit and, um, maintain any kinds of hope for um, romance or even friendship uh, or intimacy uh, because it's just too dangerous to breathe near someone to exhale right yes although I, I certainly think that people have adapted to that too that that people have adapted to um, on much more online dating much more casual walk in the park, getting uh, getting two cocktails somewhere and taking a stroll together, or, or, or and 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 how does how can we make those less transactional and more really intimate and transformational? Can we? Can you know? There is a certain sadness. I agree with what you say. It's it, that 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 underlies almost everything we do these days. There is a certain kind of sadness and bereavement over what we no longer have and what we may never have again. But how can we how can we make these constrained activities more engaging and more intimate than they might previously have been considered? You know, you're so you're so right, and it's interesting to me that my mind didn't go there. Where there's that, sorry, it's interesting that my mind didn't go that way. There's been a cleavage, a sort of bifurcation, where there used to be a sort of ritual for meeting and dating, and, and very different ones in different uh, uh, parts of society. What the meeting and dating ritual was like, but here we have two specific things that are happening. Right, this old-fashioned kind of meeting for a walk and not touching on the one hand, and on the other hand, the grinders uh, slash. Um, I mean, I can go through the thousand other apps that people have mentioned this week, uh, but let's just say that there are apps for all kinds of desires and 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 sexualities, and that we're finding these transactional needs on the one hand, where people don't want to know each other, and yet on the other hand, this very old-fashioned, charming kind of romantic walk in the park kind of thing. At the same time, right? So in the pump and dump, you're saying, you know, don't bring me flowers, don't tell me how cute I look, right? Just come in, do your thing, and leave. And on the other hand, the other relationships are, you know, obviously you're not going to teach, you know, kiss me or even hold my hand. God knows you're not going to breathe near me. Right. So that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. It is, 
Right. It's very interesting. And so, what, you know, do we, I, I think that the time has come, at least during this temporary period of time, to not really talk about anything as acting out, say, that doesn't actually harm another person. You know, this is not, this is, these are people's attempts at intimacy. They are attempts at playing with health-wise what's allowed to play. And it's their attempt at being creative at intimacy in these times when it has to be so constrained. And you're right, it is sort of, it's funny to think of this in comparison to a casual walk in the park with no hand touching, as if we were back in Dickensian times where there couldn't be any of that hand-holding where the parents would be furious. And so there's, there are these two extremes. So has it really, have, have things really bifurcated into these two very, very, very uh, um, uh, different, different ways of communicating? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's that song, Mike, um, you know, of, um, if you like pina coladas and, and, and getting caught in the rain, who sings that? Pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. It's about the, the guy who writes a, a personal ad, and you know he has this whole thing back and forth, and it turns out he ends up meeting with his wife, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't, but it reminds me of that old I Love Lucy episode where they're in Paris, and Lucy put, thinks Ricky is going to be unfaithful to her, and so she puts on a wig and flirts with him in the, in, in, in the store, and she actually attracts his attention. And, uh, <laughs> and he really doesn't know. I think he really, I don't remember if he really doesn't know it's her or he plays along with her. I'm not really sure. But <laughs> Yeah, so, so my total fantasy, even though we're using these old timey kinds of measures, I think it's really of the time that there's something about, you know, generation or two past, which is like, when you look for something, you might find that the person you had a quick up quick hook up with the night before and you didn't even uh, in any way acknowledge each other much. You just followed the script. Right, is the person you end up, you know, meeting in the park the next day and not being able to hold their hand. <laughs> crazy fantasy, but it wouldn't be so weird at this time. Nothing is nothing is weird enough to say it's impossible. Do you not agree? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I also think the person that you hooked up with two months ago might be somebody that you meet six months ago and you are and, and you are attracted to them in a completely different way when things are less constrained. So I think anything can happen. You're absolutely right. Anything can happen. Um, anything can happen, right? The world is a slightly different altered altered reality. Um, yes. That's true. Well, yeah. thanks so much for uh, this this today. I, I guess I'll check out our our listeners and what they're asking for in terms of uh, whether there's more interest in sex and sexuality. And my guess is there is or isn't. Uh, but we've also gotten some requests to talk a bit about uh, politics and. Uh, I know that you're going to love this, but sort of what's happening to our country and to think about the ways in that has psychological meaning. So if you're up for it, next week we'll be uh, talking heads either about sex and sexuality um, or politics. Um, and I will let you know. I'm going to keep you guessing. Um, is that all right with you? That's cool. I'm really interested to hear what people have to say about what we've talked about so far. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mike. Was it good for you? That was great for me, Allie. How was it for you? <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank you so much. This is Freudita, a.k.a. Mike's old friend, Alia, signing off. See you guys next week. Hi, I'm a senior in college, and I'm calling with a question about my professor. 
He's a really great guy, and I really look up to him. I'm considering pursuing a graduate degree in graphic design, and he has gone out of his way to be helpful. I really don't have anything bad to say about him, but my roommate is actually the one who asked me to call in. She says she thinks about him every time she hears the song Creep on the radio, and it really upsets me. So here's the story. I took his class in freshman year, and he is the main reason I'm interested in graphic design. He was really nice and always made time for me. When I couldn't make office hours because of athletic practice, he took me to Starbucks and always told me not to worry about it and to order whatever I wanted, that he remembered what it was like to be a student. For Christmas one year, he gave me a $50 gift card to Target and told me that he knew I was on a strict budget and that I should spend it on something for myself for a change. The past two years have been really nice. I've basically been his office assistant and have done my work study for him. He's responsible for getting me the two internships I got and even helped me to fill out the portfolio that I needed to send them in to get them both summers. I'm not sure how to feel about all this and could use some help. Hi, caller. Um, we listened to this call a couple of times because it was so typical of other calls and other scenarios that we weren't quite sure if there was something about it that we weren't getting. Um, it's almost like a trope in in current culture that a female student uh, works very hard for a professor who starts enacting small boundary violations until they end up into something really tragic like a sexual boundary violation and it sounds like that hasn't happened to you uh, at least at the time of this call and I'm hoping it doesn't happen Um, so it's good that your friend uh, the one who says she thinks about him every time she hears the song Creep on the radio, um, flag this for you. And I'm also guessing that even without her, you would have called in because it sounds to me that the number of times that you've said in this that something about this doesn't feel right. Um, for example, you said, just a feeling I have that I shouldn't know this kind of stuff in terms of his personal life or your sense that he wouldn't like it if you called in. Um, And I don't know, there are at least three or four other times that you've said in this call that you felt uncomfortable in some way. And then you kind of pushed it to the side because of all the wonderful things he's also doing. Um, You know, if this tale had ended in a sexual exploitation, uh, we would have gone back and called all of these actions grooming behaviors, uh, grooming behaviors in the classical sense that a sexual uh, perpetrator does lots and lots of things to groom his victims before uh, sexually exploiting them. And luckily, it sounds like that's not happened to you. So I think it's great that you've kind of caught this before anything happens. And when actually he's done good stuff for you, and it sounds like you've been done, been doing good stuff for him in the office. Um And it's time to really think hard about the kinds of boundaries you should be putting in place, especially it sounds like you're towards the end of your college career, Uh, the kinds of boundaries you couldn't put in place in some way that doesn't cause too much havoc and that uh, gives you a sense of agency over how much you want to have to do with him. Uh, Sort of being a subject to hearing too much about his wife and kids isn't a great plan. Uh, The sense that you owe him things and have to say thank you is also not a great plan. Um, If you've done good work for him and been a good student, have gotten good good grades and you've 
been fairly compensated for the work you've put in. And he who is hired by the university uh, does wonderful things by you, uh, which is part of being a faculty person and maybe a little more because he's invested in you. That is great. Uh, and anything beyond that that's making you uncomfortable, that's not great. Uh, he got you a Target gift card and, you know, doesn't sound like it was entirely uh, easy for you. He told you to get something that was for you for a change. Don't know what that is. I don't know what he meant, but that's not common language for people, just to flag that. Uh, him helping you fill out the portfolio that you needed is also uh, maybe can be seen as very kind, uh, but the language you use makes me think that maybe he did more than you think he should have been or that was fair. I'm not sure. Um, I guess what I'm saying to you is that this is really a, 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 a feeling state I have of somebody with power, just like a pastor might have power. Professors also have power and therapists have power. And there are certain boundaries we put in place. And um, there should be a reluctance from uh, people to violate those boundaries in, in either case. Um, well, this case, I'd say he's putting himself in the position who's trying of the person who's trying to corrupt you, uh, where he's supposed to be your mentor and the person who helps you understand boundaries. You're now being put in the position of a somebody who's having to tell him that what he's doing is inappropriate or that the excessive self-disclosure is not appropriate or that the special arrangements or appointments you have are not appropriate. And again, that's a lot of pressure and it's an unfair use, use of authority, which is why there are so many strict rules about relationships between faculty and students. Uh, so again, um, he's having trouble uh, with the boundaries of being a professor and he may be talking about them as being unnecessary, stultifying or extremely formal for no good reason. Uh, he may rationalize the boundary violations and uh, trying to really make it about him caring about you. But I want you to keep in your mind when you get confused, this is not care for you. This is him gratifying for his own needs of becoming too chummy and too close rather than watching out for you. There are many things here that are complicated. I'm sure he cares about you and I'm sure that most of the things he did are great. Uh, so I don't have any negative reasons to believe he did anything uh, with hostile intent. But at the moment, it does not sound like you are the number one that he is watching out for. If so, he'd be much more careful about boundaries and much more sensitive uh, to the problems he was causing you. Again, it's very hard for faculty not to be a real person and to in some way be an authority for you or be at some distance. And maybe everything he's telling you about his wife and his kids and all that, he just feels very close to you, almost like a friend. And there's nothing you can put your finger on that's wrong. But if the feeling you have is that it's wrong, you're really going into this enactment of, um, you know, be uh, the corruptible object pattern. Uh, where there's somebody who's uh, got a job to hold on to a uh, moral space and uh, just can't hold these boundaries. And this is another uh, aspect of it. So hold on to all the good stuff he gave you. Be really firm in the stuff that doesn't make any sense to you. Uh, end it nicely. If there's nothing he's done wrong yet, then there's no reason at all 
to assume that he, that anything terrible has occurred since the time of your call, which is just a very short time ago. Uh, but put lots of distance between you. And uh, if there's anyone else you know that may be in a similar position, uh, definitely that's the case. And I would also strongly suggest um, on your exit, which it sounds like you might be out of there, it would be great to thank him for all the great things he did. And maybe appropriate for the next gal to come along to say to him very very emphatically the things about it that made you uncomfortable. Uh, I think that would be good for you so that you can kind of be freed of all this, but also important for him if you care about him so he doesn't go over uh, this and violate it in any other time, uh, really causing havoc for him. And third of all, uh, probably staving off a whole lot of heartache for other young women who may come after you. My guess is at some point he will recognize the pattern, but it's possible you've caught it early enough that if you point this out to him and how uncomfortable it made you, uh, if he's in fact a good guy, um, he will get it and he will pull back. And if he's not a good guy uh, and he's resistant to hearing anything about it, at that point you might give it some further thought about what you want to do to make sure everyone else is also safe. Uh, so good luck, good luck with this. Uh, so good luck with this and looking forward to your graphic uh, design career. Hopefully you got wonderful things out of your college experience. Uh, we could all use some more aesthetic and artistic stuff um, in our lives. So uh, glad to hear you'll be moving into that field. Uh, feel free to call back at any other point uh, if we can be of help to you. And uh, this is Freudina wishing you well. Uh, thanks so much for calling. spoke about three different kinds of boundary violations or potential for boundary violations. And to be honest, they're all a little bit scary in some sense. Uh, we spoke about a professor who might or might not be on the verge of being sexually inappropriate with a student, but certainly is on the verge of some kind of inappropriateness with a student who feels uncomfortable and doesn't quite know how to name it because the professor's done nothing objectively other than be kind and good to her. Uh, we've also heard from a dad who's trying to keep uh, tabs on his own health without having inappropriate conversations or buy-ins with his son's sexual behaviors and the complications and potential, bio, vi and potential violations of boundaries there. And we heard from a pastor who also uh, seems to be a humble guy and uh, his, in his humility is not quite sure, but something about the uh, potential boundary violations and the way he's being pushed by his parishioner is also making him feel that something's not quite right. Uh, so in all of three of these uh, people, we see really hardworking, generous souls who it sounds like just want to do the right thing and don't want to unfairly label the other about doing anything wrong. Uh, and it's hard to tell them, yeah, the other person really might not be doing the right thing. The other person might not be doing the right thing. Your instincts are good. 
or your instincts are possibly good and you have to pay attention. We'd all rather live in a world of denial where you can just ignore things and people are just kind and decent in all ways and things work out. But the truth is that these kinds of enactments are best stopped early before anyone gets into any trouble. And I think that our three callers are just psychologically very savvy people who figured out to call these things in before they get any worse. And I'm glad they did. Uh, if you can see yourself in any of these patterns, uh, please do uh, flip your own script. If you can see that you yourself are pushing boundaries of people and you know in your gut it's not the right thing to do, you can just stop yourself now. Pull all the way back. Uh, set into place mechanisms that keep you in check, even if you know that you may not be in check otherwise. Uh, pull back on the kinds of calls or kinds of relationships or meetings you should be having, the kinds of words you use. If you recognize yourself in any of the people who are causing the aggression, uh, it's really a great thing. Note it in yourself without shame and without any feelings of excessive guilt. Just change your, change your behavior, flip your script. Um, and that's great. Uh, if you see in yourself the other side of this, there, there, there are things that have been happening that don't feel quite right in your life. Think about it really hard. If you have that gut feeling that something is not right, uh, please just recognize this is the enactment we're talking about. That something about boundary and boundary violations, potential for corruption, uh, and stuff that goes on that's just not quite morally on the up and up uh, is occurring with you. And even if it's something you can't put your finger on, I'm begging you, um, don't wait for something excessive. It's the time to attend to things and your inner voice is a very good measure of what this is. You don't eat facts on the grounds. Your internal experience of it is really quite enough. So thanks again to you callers uh, for this particularly difficult episode. I hope you're all uh, safely um, at home and to the extent you're out and about enjoying safely. And I look forward to next week. Uh, we'll be talking about a wholly different uh, enactment episode. Uh, till then, good luck, and I hope this has helped you flip your script. Thanks for joining me this week. If you want some suggestions of things that might be impeding your life and ways to think differently about them, check out for Adina's Brain Hacks. These five quick and easy brain hacks will give you some insight into why you do the things you do so you can start approaching your life with more control and a touch less crazy. Grab them at www.freudina.com backslash hacks. If you are enjoying the conversations we are having here on Ask Freudina, let me know. Head over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. The more love we get, the more people we reach. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode.